0: All right, let's read, or I'll read you listen to Philemon. Maybe before we begin the reading, here's the alliteration for any of the alliteration fans or curious, uh, history, heart, hope, um, and I have, a, I have a subtitle, yeah, um, Philemon, the power of pardon, and the interworkings of reconciliation. Okay? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, John. All right. Paul, uh, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Epipha, our sister, and our Chippus, our fellow soldier whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to, to you, both in the flesh And in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we love you and, I don't know, I just can't believe that you let us um, understand your heart at all. Um, and that you, that you are love and that you intend to uh, envelop us in your love is truly... A miracle of all miracles. And God, I pray that through the work of your Spirit and the vision that He gives us of your Son Jesus, we would be drawn into the the greatness, the beauty of your love. That we would understand what you've done in order to bring about reconciliation to the sinner. And may we be able to uh, function and live within the world out of that grace and mercy that has been received. So God, we, we just love you. Um, and if, we, if we're curious and don't love you or don't know about you, I pray that we would just see you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Our, our overview of Scripture today, as you have already found out, brings us to uh, the shortest of Paul's epistles the book of Philemon. But before we begin to dig into it, I'd like to start with a a gentle uh, admonition. Please don't underestimate this little letter consisting of 335 uh, words in the original Greek text. Philemon is what I like to call the Mike Tyson of the epistles. It might be small, but it packs quite a punch. And if any of you guys know Mike Tyson, 5'11", heavyweight champion of the world. I I, I told my wife this. she said, was Mike Tyson small? I said, yeah, terribly small. Anyway, that's a tangent. (laughs) Philemon is like uh, the Mike Tyson of epistles, small, but uh, packs quite a punch. The long and the short of it is this. Paul's letter to Philemon is the gospel on the ground. It is the theology of grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation taken from the library of the mind and applied to the actual matters of life. Now, what I'd like to do is get into the history of the book, and it's pretty straightforward. Um, from Paul uh, from prison, I'm sorry, from prison, and it seems like Paul was always in prison, but from prison, Paul wrote a letter to his good friend Philemon on behalf of his new friend Onesimus. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen of Colossae who met Paul on a visit to the city of Ephesus. There he became a Christian under the tutelage of Paul and inevitably became a leader in the church that Epaphras planted in Colossae. And according to uh, verse 1, the church actually met in Philemon's house. And if you want to corroborate all this, just read Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. And it might be a surprise to you, but... Uh, not to the anci- ancients, of course, but it was quite common for Roman citizens to own slaves. There were two types of uh, uh, slaves in the Roman uh, culture. There were some that were the spoils of war, and then there were others who were paying off debts. In, in fact, here's, here's a bit of the numbers. According to the highest estimate, at the peak of its power one-third of Rome's population was made up of slaves. And what Paul makes very clear in this letter here is that Onesimus was actually a slave that belonged to Philemon. Now, while that settles in, uh, let me proceed with a little more history. You see, the history of the letter tells us this. You see, at some point, uh, serious conflict ar- arose between Philemon and Onesimus. And we don't know what it was. Most commentators think that it was probably theft. Uh, Paul does offer to repay, um, and you read that in verse 18. But what we do know is that it was bad enough for Onesimus to disappear, to to pack up and disappear. What we do know about Onesimus is that he ultimately reappeared in Rome, established A relationship with Paul, and then if you know Paul, he also established a relationship with Jesus. In other words, he came to trust Christ as his Lord and Savior. And during his season on the run, so to speak, at some point, sitting there knowing his status as a runaway slave, which was a capital offense, a capital crime at the time, and, and knowing that there was a breach between him and Philemon, I wonder, did the words of Jesus out of Matthew 5 come to Onesimus? In case you're wondering what those words are, they're up on the screen. It says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I don't know. I don't know if that actually came to his mind, but Onesimus was compelled to return to Colossae and uh, and to face Philemon. And this is the historical context of the book. What we read in this tiny epistle is Paul's attempt at mending the relationship uh, Onesimus had broken between himself and Philemon. I don't know about you. Context alone has me interested. Now, the letter is much more than just a history lesson. It is also rhetorically beautiful and it's sociologically staggering. And I I intend to prove it to you by looking at the heart and the hope that the letter possesses within it. Now, let's see if I can convince you. Or let's see if Paul and the Holy Spirit can convince you. In verses 8 and 9, Paul shares his heart. He says, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. In other words, he says, because you know Christ, you know what to do. And Paul says, I could, I could pull my, my apostolic card. I could slam that on the table and tell you what to do, but I'm going to appeal to you out of love instead. And do you see the wisdom here? Paul isn't heavy handed. He's not heavy handed. Uh, One commentator said he's not dictatorial. Beth, I was, you know, most of you know I run my sermons by Beth, my wife. before I preached them. And she told me, not dictatorial, huh? She's all, maybe you could uh, learn a, a little bit from this. <laughs> I told her I was going to tell that joke. And uh, she said, I was just joking. So just, just so you know, I told the whole story there. Because I don't want to get in trouble for telling a good joke. I mean, it happens, but you know, I don't want to get in trouble for it too late. Yeah, it might be too late. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. It's fine. Um, You see, what we read in the letter is the work of reconciliation, it requires a gentle touch. It needs a gentle touch. I do need to learn that, a gentle touch. Listen, it's not wrong, nor is it weak, to be careful and considerate with your words. It's not evil to weigh out how your words, our words, might perhaps make someone feel. That's not a weakness. And Jesus teaches us that. The Bible is full of wisdom around words. Is it or is it not? I'll just quote Solomon today. Solomon says, and that's on the screen, like apples of gold in settings of silver, is a word spoken in right circumstances. In R. Kent Hughes, he says it this way He says, human reconciliation runs on loving tact, something every Christian should master regardless of personality or position. Anybody convicted? Yeah, anybody? Yeah, Lord, touch your heart a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Like his Lord, Paul is kind and he appeals from love. And this is the heart. This is the heart that he has. Now, notice the hope. Because the hope is so beautiful. It is, it's, gosh, it's beautiful. Beginning in verse 12, I'd like to kind of get to its core. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. See, there's that wisdom, there's that gentleness again. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let those words settle in and solidify something. And I want to s I wanna I wanna and I want to I wanna like pull out the core with, within the core. He says that that he might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but as a brother. Like I said, the words are socially staggering. I told you what was going on in Rome. And now we hear how the gospel is speaking in to even matters of the world. See, if you believe Christian doctrine and understand the writings of Paul in particular, here is what he's reminding his friend Philemon to keep in his conscience. Here it is. Here it is, my friends. If the resurrection is true, Then it breaks into culture and literally changes the social order. The old creation is replaced by a renewed, redeemed new creation. And Paul, he puts it this way to the Galatians in chapter 3 of his book. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Daniel Ragusa um, commentating on all of these ideas explains it this way. He says, the relationships of the old creation that are marked by polarities, you are either one or the other, and characterized by an economic hierarchy, one side of the relationship is valued higher in the economy of the present age, do not continue into the new creation in Christ. Maybe you haven't heard that. But maybe, and I'm almost certain you've heard it this way. Someone said it this way. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's a great equalizer. The gospel is the great equalizer. And when it is fully realized, it reorders social structures. And this is why some have written... Of this letter, that within it, Paul planted the seeds of the abolitionist movement. I'd love to talk to you more if you have more questions around all of that, but this is the time I have for this moment. This tiny but mighty letter is teeming with hope hope that when the gospel is unleashed and truly received. It will bring reconciliation to places that were once thought of as impossible. And that's what Paul says to the Galatians. That's what he's saying about the world as the gospel is unleashed on the world. Places that were once thought of as impossible to reconcile, the gospel can bring healing, health, and hope. Now, We know of the book that Paul and Onesimus were in on the message of reconciliation, which meant that there was only one person left to kind of sort this struggle out. The man Philemon, right? The final responsibility, and some might say the most challenging task, lay at the feet of Philemon. He was the offended party. Imagine Onesimus arriving at Philemon's door, holding the letter from Paul in his hand. Because that's probably how it worked. One commentator I read said, ancient letters were always read aloud by the bearer of the letter. Can you imagine that awkward moment? Imagine Philemon looking at Onesimus and wondering, I'm going to forgive, am I going to forgive this guy? Or am I going to strangle him? I wonder, I don't know. I, I don't know. The, the real question, I think, I really, I think the real question is, how deep did the gospel doctrine actually run within the life of Philemon? I think that's the bigger question. How deep, how deep did the doctrine of the gospel actually run within Philemon. Was the gospel a bow he attached to accentuate his life, or was it something that bled out of his veins? Paul, in the letter, he's already reminded Philemon of the implications of Christianity in these particular situations he's appealed to Philemon's christian character and his good reputation he's even promised to take care of restitution i'll pay it all back he says but the, at the end of the day the real question is was philemon going to forgive onesimus and i would like to believe that he did and paul even suggests that he knows he'll he'll do that and even more right he does suggest that. But let's be honest. This is where it's important to read your where it's important to know how to read your Bible. The Bible does not tell us what happened. So speculation is dangerous. Especially how we might speculate. All I can say is uh, Paul seemed to think he would do more. The gospel see, seem to be very uh, evident in the life of Philemon, but we don't know at the end of the day. It's definitely one of the things that I'm going to investigate in the resurrection. Not the first thing. It's definitely not the first thing. But it is a thing. Like, I'm going to find Philemon. I'm like, what ha- how'd that go down? Like, what, ha- what happened? I'm, I'm curious. I, what, are you, what are you guys going to do? <laughs> Anyway, but here's the thing. I don't think Philemon exists for us to know that answer. I don't think so. I think Philemon exists for the Christian to ask themselves how deep does gospel doctrine actually run in, our, in and through our lives. Is the gospel a bow that we attach to our lives Or is the gospel something we bleed? Do we think only of our individual need for forgiveness of sin and our souls being right with God? Or do do we see just how far the scope of salvation stretches and how it, it cuts into the world and how it changes and even restores the social order? Do we believe... Paul's words to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 and 19. Some of my favorite passages of scriptures kind of clarifying who we are in the world. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do we believe that? Do we believe that about God? Do we believe that about ourselves? And do we believe that about the mission of Christianity, is actually to be reconcilers. Understanding how Christ has reconciled us. How deep does that doctrine run in our life? That's what Philemon asks us. Are we accentuating our life with the gospel, or does it bleed? Does it bleed out of us? I think it, I think it, obviously causes us to ask maybe a handful of questions. One, is God calling you or me, us, to help someone reconcile? Do you know, do you, are you saying, ah, I'd rather not step into the middle of that today? Are you, are you in that place today? I don't know. That's, it just will take too much energy, and it could, I could, if I put my neck out there, it might get chopped. You no, know, that's What Paul was doing for his friends, for both of his friends. Not one friend or the other, but both of his friends. Number two, do you, do I, do we, just you know, someone who needs to be forgiven? And number three, do you need, and I think maybe this is the most challenging one, like I said, do you need to forgive someone? Is there someone you refuse to forgive? Is there someone I'm refusing to forgive? I'll try to be gentle. I'll try to take the advice of my own sermon in terms of speaking on reconciliation. I'll try and be gentle. I get it. Conflict within people, among humans, it's really messy and complicated to to sort out. And forgiveness, offering that, sometimes it feels impossible. Sometimes we are downright stubborn and at a place of refusal when it comes to offering forgiveness. So let me start by saying I understand. I understand the feeling because it has been deep within me at times in my life. And some avoid forgiveness altogether because they think it comes at the cost of ignoring the necessity of justice. And yes, sometimes the gospel, if it's not deeply understood, it can be seen as some superficial, uh, sentimental, move on, get over it, and don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about the injustice done and, and, and just move on. The gospel, gospel couldn't be any further from that if we know the gospel. You see, the Christianity, Christianity doesn't ignore the problem and the complexity of sin. It actually faces it head on. That's what what I read in my Bible. Here's here's the way Paul explains it to the Romans in chapter 5. Mike, I'm getting ahead of you uh, a little bit, but um, you'll be there in a few weeks, everybody, whoever's taking Mike's class. Romans 5, 6 through 11. This This is powerful. For while we were still weak, at the right time... It's not even Paul's idea. It's God's. When we read a text like that, do we see the penalty that needed to be paid, the justice that needed to be exacted in order to be forgiven? God shows us very clearly that he faces it head on. And those who understand Am truly as terrible as the idea may be we will also face it head on I think I think this is the deal we will forgive to the extent that we understand Paul's words personally we will forgive to the extent that we know what Jesus has actually done if we understand it personally. I'm saying if you can't forgive, and this is as gentle as I can be with it, if you can't forgive, I think it's fair to to ask yourself, do I really understand the gospel? Do I really understand it? And that's not me being a mean guy. That's just saying that's something you have to think about. Because we meet here to get clarity around the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. We're not here, we're certainly not here to hang out with John all the time. <laughs> no, he's cool. I, lo- I love hanging out with him. I- I actually, my, part of me coming here is to hang out with John, to be tough. Be t- but, you guys, our liturgy, our order of worship is all intentionally structured so that we would see Jesus and we would hear his word. That's why we exist. To see Jesus and hear his word and know who he is and to know his love and his sacrifice for our sin so we can go to that table and know his body and blood shed for us. That's why we come here. It is not for people and personalities, idiots like me. You know, it's for Jesus. Guys, I am not flippantly telling you to forgive people as though it comes at no cost. I'm not flippantly doing that. And I have been praying all week whether or not to share this, but I will because I think it's helpful. But this past year... I have been working through forgiving the young man who killed my son in a car accident. That's what I've been working through this year. And I'm not going to go any further than that because I will cry. You've seen me cry at church enough, um, but it won't, this won't be, it won't be the last time either. Um, but I would love to. If you're struggling to forgive, if you're if you're under, if you need to look at all the angles, listen. We're here as pastors and elders to talk you through that. I, I I will sit down and talk to you through the whole thing, if it helps you. And I will and I will I won't point you to my story. I'll point you to Jesus. So trust me. I'm not being flippant about. About being about offering forgiveness, my friends. There's a there's a quote from Tim Keller that's been just kind of gnawing at me this week. It's this, it's so good. He says, Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost yourself. You see, what forgiveness means, it means we have to fall on a sword. And here's the thing if Jesus did, then so can we. Let's pray. Oh God. As we consider the grand beauty of the gift of your son in the incarnation on the cross and in the resurrection we believe that you can heal anything. We believe that because you have healed us through your blood and care uh, for your creation that you don't leave us old dead, in sin and trespasses. You make us new and give us true life. And it is that resurrection power that we pray you would help us to live into today. So Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace given. Holy Spirit, continue to um, nourish our hearts and, and help us see your love as we continue to worship you now, in Jesus' name, amen.